uh, in the first session, we kind of looked at how uh, God, Jesus in particular, faithful for us. And this one's that he's faithful to us. But actually, I was kind of reflecting on that, and they're kind of one and the same thing, so I've kind of cheated. Um, but we looked at how he was kind of a better, truer representative, that when we mess up, when we fall down, that actually Jesus went before um, and actually tread that path so that we can be saved. Um, that he was faithful for, faithful for us in his life, um, but also in the way that he conducted miracles. He showed compassion. He told stories. He kind of models what it looks like to, uh, well, model the kind of life that we should be living in one sense, what faithful living looks like. Um, and so I want to kind of look at how he's faithful to us, and it's kind of displayed in his purpose, but also in the way that he just went about his life. So I'm just going to read from Philippians chapter 2, um, which, if it hadn't been for Hebrews 12, would be the other kind of piece of scripture that I really like. I mean, I like more than that, obviously. But uh, I'll just read it to you. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What I've just read is possibly... The Apostle Paul's, I think anyway, but it's just my personal opinion, most kind of dense piece of kind of theological scripture centered around the way that Jesus put others first, the way that he laid down his life for us. I mean, it's all over the Bible. It's kind of the imprint of the Bible that Jesus comes and lays down his life. But here in just 11 verses, it's kind of rammed full of content. And it's all centered around this word humility. And actually, I was kind of starting to knock on that door a little bit at the end of the last session, that we're not the hero, but Jesus is. And humility is not the kind of attribute that I'm going to stand here at the front. It's not the kind of attribute you can just turn to your mate and say, you know, I'm really humble. It's not that kind of thing you could say, I'm really good at sport or I'm a really good musician. But I can't stand here at the front and say, I'm the most humble guy in this room. Because it kind of defeats the object of humility. Um, It's in my actions. It's the way that I demonstrate, the way that I lead my life as to whether I'm humble or not. Um, And in these verses, you see it. The Apostle Paul kind of lays out for us. He says, put others first. He says, um, don't do anything out of rivalry or conceit. And then he says, here's Jesus. Look at his example and goes through what Jesus did, that he came for us, took on a form of a servant and was obedient to the point of death, even death upon a cross. And so it's humility is kind of seen in that we put other people before ourselves. And that is countercultural. We might not think that it is, but the world out there just exists for self. Um, Everyone's out for number one. 
nobody cares about each other, but what would it be like, how great would it be to be in a community, which is what it should be like as the people of God, where actually everyone is putting other people before themselves? Because you know what? Somebody then is putting you before themselves as well. It's not like you're going to miss out. It's not like you're going to fall short. It's not like nobody cares for you. But actually, we're not preoccupied with self. We're preoccupied with putting the interests of others before our own. And when we do that, it encourages, it builds, it serves. It's what we should be doing as Christians. I recently, this isn't a very, this is a bit of a humble brag really, um, because I've got terrible knees. But I recently probably completed my only half marathon. Yeah, that's just... That's kind of a, a light ripple. Okay, fine. It's 13.1 miles. That's a long way. Um, if you could see the scans of my knees, you'd be clapping a lot louder than that. Um, but it's not the kind of thing that you can just rock up to, unless you're like a super athlete and your name's Mo Farah. You know, for most of us here, if we just turned up to run 13.1 miles, we would not make it. You have to put in a lot of training in the background. You have to work hard. And as a part of the training, I would train with other people because that's what they say. They say running's really boring if you run by yourself. But if you run with other people, it makes it a bit more exciting, a bit more engaging. And actually, you distract yourself because you're chatting to them and you're not counting every footstep. And I would run with these people. And some of these people were fantastic. Some of them were humble. And some of them were like me. And what they would do, the kind of the really humble, great ones, is they would run at the pace of the slowest runner. Now, even if they could do seven-minute miles, they would run at 11-minute miles, which is quite slow. They would pace themselves. They would help the slowest runner because it would encourage them. It would build them. And there were a couple that actually were doing that. It was a husband and wife, and they were training together. And the wife was significantly slower than the husband. Husband knew it. Wife knew it. But they trained together. But come half marathon day, it all went wrong. I think they got to about mile eight, and he just said, I've had enough now. And he just pegged it off and beat her by about eight minutes. What would have been really nice is if, if actually he'd run with her the whole time. And she, she seemed a bit kind of despondent afterwards, actually. He was loving it because he got a really good time. But she was a bit slower. You see, when he was running with her, when he was being purposeful, he was building her up. He was serving her. He was honoring her. He was putting her needs and her requirements of needing someone else to run with her before his own getting his own really good time. And the greatest example, it's not really a comparison, but it's just an example to get us to think about how we can practically do that. The greatest example we have of this is Jesus. There is some serious putting other people before himself going on here, isn't there? And that, those people are you and I. Look at verse 5 of chapter 2. It says this. He's already talked, Paul, about various things in Philippians. And he's mentioned slightly before this, you know, don't have any rival. We don't have consent, but consider others more significant than yourselves. And he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So he's saying this, this outlook, this, uh, he wants you to embrace the outlook you're about to see. The mindset, the attitude that's going to be displayed in the verses that follow on, that's yours. Now you can read that verse in kind of one or two ways, actually. It can be um, just as in Ephesians 6, Paul talks about putting on the armor of God. You could read that verse there by saying, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, put that mind on, be like Jesus, uh, think in the way that he does, look in the way that he does, have that same attitude. Or it can simply be, follow the example of what you're about to read. Both of which work, 
whether you kind of go for one or the other is actually a bit by the by because you, you come to the same uh, application point, which is Christ is humble, Christ puts others before himself, so therefore we should too. You see how our identity as Christians revolves around Christ. So often we kind of divorce it and we just live however we please, but actually it's looking to how did Jesus live? What did Jesus do? And then modeling it in our own life, following after him. Humility is, I think, an undervalued trait. You know, how different would the world be if we all put the needs of other people before ourselves? It would be massively different, wouldn't it? It would save ourselves a lot of war, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. And often we kind of, especially as a man, people think, oh, it's a sign of weakness to be humble. People associate being a bit of a pushover. But actually, it's not that at all. And it should mark our identity because it marked the identity of our saviour. I don't want you thinking humility is a bad thing. It's not being a mope. It's not being an Eeyore. It's not being depressing company, which is often how we think of humility. We think, oh, I'm just no good at anything. I can't do anything. I'm rubbish at this. When actually you can be really good. You could be a really gifted musician, but you're like, oh, I just can't do it. I mean, that's not humility. It's just annoying. I'll call it what it is. It is. If you're gifted and you've got some skills and abilities and you're playing it down, and you go, it's just annoying. I mean, there's a line, isn't there? There's a kind of, you know, you don't want to be so full of yourself that everybody gets annoyed the other way. But actually, we're not to be down on those things. It's, uh, in Romans, Paul talks about thinking of yourself with sober judgment. And I, I like this line about humility, that it's not thinking less of yourself which is often how we interpret humility, to think less of yourself, to put yourself down. But actually, it's thinking of yourself less. It's putting other people first. It's moving out of the way that other people would have a shot, other people would have a go, that you might be uncomfortable, but you'll do it anyway. Which is precisely what Jesus did. You don't see Jesus, he's not marked in his He's the most humble guy ever, but he's not a mope, is he? He's not down on who he is. He's not wandering Galilee saying, oh... Oh, it's so terrible. My life is awful. I didn't want to be a carpenter. I wanted to do other things. I don't like my stepdad. My mum, she's annoying. You don't see that. I don't read that in the scriptures. I don't read Jesus moaning around, yet he is the most humble man ever. But what it means, he didn't think less of himself, but he thought of himself less. He put the needs of other people before himself. He put the mission of God before his own needs. This is what it says in verse 6 and 7. Speaking of Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Is it, I mean, if the rest of this chapter doesn't blow you away, which you should do, just these verses should. Though Jesus is the Son of God, he doesn't consider that something to be grasped. He doesn't consider that something that he can exploit for his own gain or his own advantage. How often when we have power or we have opportunity, do we do things, do we exploit things for our own gain so that we would look good, so that we would be famous, so that we would get all the attention? We rarely think of others given a tremendous opportunity. But Jesus here is thinking, how can... Where I am, how can I use that for the benefit of another? Here we have the Son of God, the most deserving person in all of history of privilege, 
And yet Romans 15.3 says, Jesus strengthened others. He built up neighbors. It says of Jesus Christ, he did not please himself. His concern was for others. The mission of God is more important for Jesus. People are more important than stuff for Jesus. Can we say the same? Is our work, is our stuff, is having a new car or the latest gaming console or getting your nails done or whatever, is that more important to us than people? Are people just an inconvenience to us? You know what I'm talking about. That person at work or, you know, the person at university. Are they an inconvenience to us because you're so busy and you've got stuff that we need doing? People are never, we're never an inconvenience for Jesus. In fact, he wanted to build them up. He wanted to strengthen them. He wanted to encourage them. Jesus, more than anybody, is well within his rights to say, you know what? The world should treat me as who I am, the Son of God. Roll out the red carpet for me. Where are my grapes? Where are my pampas grasses? Where where is everybody worshipping me? I deserve praise. Why aren't you praising me? Why aren't you stooping down before the man who created you? And yet he doesn't do that. He invests his life into something more significant. And that's the same for us. We've got to invest our life into building the church, which means people. Pointing people towards Jesus. Not investing our life into stuff. Because you ain't going to take it with you. It doesn't shape your eternal destiny, whether you've got the latest clothes or not. If we want our lives to count for something, then obviously Jesus is the hero, but the way that we live, the way that we invest our time and our energy and our finance should be for the sake of people, should be putting other people before ourselves. You know, Jesus had the eternal glories for both by nature and right, and he didn't use it for a platform for his own kind of self display. There was no red carpet. He didn't own multiple donkeys. He wasn't even born a wealthy man. He was born in a stable to a teenage girl with animals. He was a refugee. He had to leave his place of birth and flee to Egypt and then come back when it was safe. He grew up a carpenter's son, poor, Wretched. Isaiah says he was nothing special to look at. He, wasn't, he didn't have model good looks. And this is the Son of God. This is the creator of the universe. Yet it's all part, it's all a part of considering other people before he considers himself. And that's the same for us. Whatever gifting we have, and I'm sure we all have giftings here, whatever praise we think we deserve... I want to say that God is more concerned with our character than he is our gifting. So often we focus on our gifting, but God is more concerned with molding and shaping our character. That we would be kind people. That we would be gracious people. That we would be loving. Sure, be a talented musician, but before that, be gracious. Before that, be kind. Before that, be patient. God wants humble people people who pursue godliness, people who put others first. 
And Jesus does that, and he doesn't do it in a temporary way. We often think that, don't we? But if, if I were to die right now and I was to go to glory, I would meet, I would meet the God-man, Jesus, still human. He hasn't ditched his humanity. He represents us still now to the Father. It wasn't temporary. It wasn't a mask for him. He will represent us forever. When we see him, we will see Jesus in the flesh, in a human body. You know, it says here that Jesus made himself nothing. And that doesn't mean, some people take that, that means he was no longer God. Which is not what uh, Paul is saying at all. I want you to think of it like this. When you think of the incarnation, we think of how, how can he be the God-man? And we think, well, he must have stopped being God if he's got these human traits. And how does that balance out? What does that look like in his life? Rather think of it that he is God, but he adds humanity unto himself. So by adding humanity unto himself, certain things change in comparison to who he was in glory. So for Jesus, to become human was to literally become nothing. If you consider he's the creator of all things, to become like you and I was to become nothing. It's to go from rich to poor. So that, the Bible tells us, by his poverty we become rich. Verse 8, being found in human form, he humbled himself. So if it, wasn't, if it wasn't humbling enough that he would become a human being, Paul says again, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. The worst kind of death that you could have. Crucifixion. The most public shaming that you could have in that culture. Even death on a cross. Jesus Christ takes on the form of a servant, becomes human, and then dies for the sins of the world. Takes our place. In Romans it says the wages of sin is death. Which is what we all experience. We experience the curse. The result of sin. And actually, it's you and I that should be nailed upon that cross for our sin, for our rebellion, for our treachery. And yet Jesus comes and he steps into the breach. He puts you, literally you, before his own interests as he's crucified. This is what he says in John's gospel. This is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. That's a challenge. To love as we've been loved. Greater love has no one than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. That's what love looks like. Put in the interests of others before our own. You know, often we think, of, you know, people say, oh, God is love, God is love, and I'm like, oh, that just makes me feel a bit sick, really, when people kind of, God is love, but not in a kind of rainbows and butterflies and my little pony kind of way. That's not what I read when I read the Bible. God is love in that he sends Jesus, who's literally almost willing to take a bullet for us, is crucified for you. That's love. That he would take your punishment. That's what love is. The person of Jesus upon a cross so that we can go free. John said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Son of God who bears the sins of the, the world upon his shoulders. And unlike the sacrifices in the Old Testament of sheep and goats. I mean the sheep and goats didn't have much say in whether they were going to be sacrificed. They didn't have a get out clause. Jesus willingly chooses to lay down his life. He was obedient, a consenting sacrifice. I mean, does it not take your breath away? 
I mean, it should do. We should be astounded that Jesus would be willing to do that, willing to go to that level for me, for you. How incredibly faithful to us that he put not just the interests of me or the interests of you, but the interests of all of humanity for all time ahead of his own. You know, sometimes it's good, isn't it, to just stop, to just pause with kind of how chaotic life is and just reflect upon, one, reflect upon what the God-man's done for us, reflect upon what Jesus has done, setting the ultimate example of what love looks like, laying down your life for someone. That's love, grace, kindness. What does godly character look like? It looks like Jesus. Here's a question for you just to consider, a rhetorical question, so don't worry. In your walk with God, do you want people to remember you? Or would you rather, remember, would you rather they remember the one that you serve? You know, I would rather, if, if you, as you leave today, that you don't remember me, but you remember God within me. That you go, yeah, I can see Christ there. I can see Jesus there. I can see grace. I can see love. I can see kindness. Not, oh, he's an okay communicator, or he had a Britney Spears mic on, or whatever. But that we'd be like him, that people would see Christ when they see us. Because there is no greater calling or mission for your life. You're going, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Well, live for Jesus. Whether you're a baker, a butcher, whatever you do, you can live for Jesus. You can serve him in that place. But I don't think there's a greater thing or a greater privilege that as you walk and you lead your life, that when people see you, they think Jesus. I can't think of anything greater. And you know how we do that? You know how we can, uh, how uh, our people can see that? Is by putting others first. Because the rest of the world puts themselves first. But actually, to be like Christ, to be the children of God here, is to put other people first, which means being humble thinking less about yourself, getting out of the way, pointing again, signposting Jesus and being willing to represent him and represent him well. It's kind of that model of less of us and more of God. And you know what? Putting other people is uncomfortable. Putting other people first will be uncomfortable for you because it's natural to self-serve, because we're sinful, because we mess up. That's our DNA that says, I will look after number one. So to pay for somebody else's fuel, to pay for somebody else's food, to do something, to serve other people, to live in the margins, in the nitty-gritty, in the mess of life, and give up your time for people, is countercultural, which means it hurts, and it means it will be uncomfortable. But here's the thing for you. Don't you want to be the kind of people that step out in faith and take a risk? Step out into the unknown, and God will meet you there. I think it's better to take a risk for God, better to put other people first for God, than to just be captivated by fear and never actually achieve anything. Never actually do anything because all we ever do is self-serve. You know, to put others first is the Jesus way. What if all our churches up and down this nation were full of people that put other people before themselves? Wouldn't it change the nation? I think it would. I think it would please the Spirit of God. I think the Holy Spirit would love that. You know, we have to learn to stop being cynical, to stop putting down but to build up, to stop tearing people apart but to believe the best in people. Our default needs to be 
look into people and outgracing them. When they stab you in the back, go again. When they don't say thank you, bless them again. Because we were the ones that put Christ upon a cross. <laughs> and yet he lays down his life for us. There is, for whatever our sin, whatever depths of evil that we kind of do, there's grace. There's God's forgiveness. There's repentance. There's new life. And the same is true of those people. People at work that make your life a misery, don't write them off. But love them. Bless them. And you know what that looks like? It means putting their interests before your own even if they're really annoying, even if it's the last thing that you want to do. Because by doing that, you model what it looks like to follow Christ. So often we think it's standing in judgment of people and saying, oh, your life's a bit messy, isn't it? Or I'm so glad I'm not like you. But actually what it looks like is to serve people, to love people, to bless people. To be willing to step out into something that might be uncomfortable that something that we might get hurt from, that we might take flack for. But it's worth it because every situation and every person is redeemable by God's grace. There is no one too far from God. Just think of your own story if you're a Christian here today. There is no one too far from God. And Jesus never wrote us off. He was faithful to us even even to the point of death, death upon a cross. So, our, you know, God was faithful for us, but he was also faithful to us. And our response is humility. And maybe we could try it over lunch, I don't know. This might be a bit countercultural for you. There's only two slices of that pizza left, letting the other person have it. I don't know what it might be. That's a bit trivial, but there might be genuine examples that you can actually serve people and bless them and be Jesus to people so that people would see that in your heart. Let's pray together, shall we? God, we thank you so much for the example of Jesus who uh, he was found in human form and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death upon a cross. We thank you, Jesus, so much that you were willing to do that for us, that uh, you went from... Uh, being rich to being poor, so that by your poverty we might become rich, that we might have new life. And God, we pray that we'd step out into that and we'd be willing to take a risk for you. We'd be willing to put, put people before ourselves because that comes at a cost to ourselves. God, change our hearts. Spirit of God, cause us to do that. Prompt us to do that. Because in doing so, we step into uh, our calling as the children of God is to, to love, to outgrace to bless, not curse, to honor, not dishonor, to believe the best, not to be cynical. God, we pray you just change us. Not that we would think, of our, uh, think less of ourselves, but we would think about ourselves less. Help us to put others before ourselves, just as you put our needs and our need for rescue before yourself, Jesus. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen.